Our scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. The ten dollar founded father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being the self-starter daughter to your union and the hope that you How many of you have seen the movie Hamilton or saw the play on stage? Okay, awesome. You don't need to have done that, though, in order to follow along today. We are in the second week of our series called Movie Club Hope. And in the first week, we looked at this wonderful Disney movie and a man named Joe Gardner. We talked about hope in the face of failure. And our scripture was that beautiful scripture of, of, with the image of the race that said we should stop looking behind ourselves and strain forward in the freedom that we get through Jesus Christ. And so this week, our hope the lens and what we are looking at hope is through this what is yet to be. The scripture today are these two pithy little parables, really short um, considering compared to the other parables, and they offer insight into finding hope in the possible and the unexpected. Each week we're using these illustrations of movies, and obviously we are doing Hamilton this week, and this is a musical about one of our country's founding fathers, actually one that history had pretty much forgotten about. Hamilton was released last year for the 4th of July. It is a 2020 historical fiction musical drama, lots of adjectives there, um, of a film that was a live stage um, recording of a Broadway musical all about Alexander Hamilton. It was inspired by the biography written by Ron Chernow in 2004. It's divided into two musical acts with this drama about the life and the career of Alexander Hamilton, who was an orphan immigrant from the Caribbean that came to this country before it was a country, who after his mother died was then sent to live with his cousin, who then took his own life. The first act of the musical or the movie is about him coming to New York City in 1776. He then worked in the Continental Army as an aide to General George Washington during the American Revolution, 
And uh, in the musical, you hear about his courtship and then his marriage to Eliza Schuler. Then the second act is all about his post-war experience as a secretary of the Treasury of the United States. You might, if you've seen a $100 bill, his face is the one that is depicted there. But then we also hear about his affair with Maria Reynolds, the death, the devastating loss of his son, Philip, and finally, his own death in a duel with Aaron Burr. So this particular founding father had dubious beginnings. On paper, he doesn't look like anyone you would bet on or that you would hope would be part of the founding fathers of a nation. No one placed their hope on this character. Alexander Hamilton, though, he took a chance um, and left the Caribbean and went to this 13 colonies hoping to be a nation, and he wanted to start over and be someone new. Now, I don't know if any of you grew up in a small town, but when you live in a small town or on a small island, everybody knows everything about you. And if you don't move and you stay there, they know things that you hope no one would share with anyone else. And my experience growing up in Mulgee, Oklahoma, with four generations of my family living in that town, was that if I went to the grocery store, no matter how many items I was buying, it was a social experiment. Because I had to visit with everyone in the grocery store and ask about their families and all of those things. And then one of the things that happened to me in high school that I hated so much was that if I was driving, like on my lunch hour or home for after basketball practice, those kind of things, before my dad got home from work, he would know if I went over the speed limit. And so when you live in a small town, it is kind of like living in a fishbowl. And people tell your stories over and over again. So it doesn't matter if you're 17. They still remember in third grade when you did something silly on the playground, and that goes with you forever. And so... Alexander Hamilton had this terrible beginning to his life. His mother died, then he was passed off to a cousin. His cousin ended his life. Then he was passed off to a merchant that he worked for. He was separated from his older brother. And when he considered risking everything and doing something new and starting over as someone from a small town, I can see where that would be a blessing Nobody knows who you are. They don't know your stories. They don't know the dumb things you've done that everybody else knows. There's a possibility wrapped up in the risk of something wonderful and new. And when, in an interview, Lynn manuel talked about when he wrote the songs for this musical, he said in an interview that he deliberately chose hip-hop and rap music because it was born out of violence and poverty in neighborhoods in New York City. And Alexander Hamilton came from a life that started with a lot of violence and poverty. And so it was funny because so many people told him that will never go on Broadway. You've made a terrible choice with the music. It's, it's hard to follow. If you watch it, if you, if you watch it this week, you have to watch it over and over and over because the words come out so fast. But despite all the naysayers, it was a huge hit on Broadway. And it, 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 
made Alexander Hamilton re-emerge as this character who'd done incredible things. So our scripture for today are about these two characters who find treasure. One finds it in unexpected places, and the other is looking for it. But they're both explaining what is the kingdom of God. And so in my reading this week from Feasting of the Gospels, I read this I wanted to share with you. The treasure is hidden, recalling the emphasis on the preceding parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. In the hidden or apparently insignificant impact of the kingdom for those who are not attuned to its reality. What appears to be hidden and insignificant will explode into something bountiful, as the parable of the sower had proclaimed. And so in these small parables and examples, they remind us of parables that we've already read. Each of them has an unnamed character who leaves everything behind to acquire this one great thing. The totality of the commitment that is required includes leaving behind all your possessions, and this is a recurring motif in the Gospels. Uh, you may remember when Jesus calls the first, uh, first disciples, and they were our fishermen, and they're in a family business, and he invites them to come and follow. They just drop their nets and walk away, leaving family and financial security and those kind of things. And then you also see later, he um, invites Matthew, a completely different type of person, and he leaves behind his toll booth. He's an outsider, not one of those that people would expect to be called by Jesus. And of course, many of you know the story of the rich young man. And unlike the disciples, Jesus invites him to sell everything he has and follow, and he walks away and says no, basically. So each of those who respond to the call to something new take incredible risk. And risk is not something that most people like. It's messy, and it's uncertain, and it's scary. And, and these stories that we hear today in the gospel are people who risk everything for that one thing. The one who finds the treasure in the field does it by accident. He's not even looking for treasure. He just stumbles upon it. And he has this great joy. And he goes to sell everything he has to purchase this field. In contrast to that, the merchant is deliberately looking through the pearls. He is seeking the great treasure. And he's looking for it. And then when he finds it, he sells everything he has to acquire it. The parables are the same, yet they are different. The one man isn't looking for treasure, and the other is, but yet they both find it. This is good news for all of us. Now, we could debate the moral lines that were crossed here by the guy finding the treasure in the field, right? He didn't go and tell the field owner. Instead, he offered to buy the field. But that isn't the point or why Jesus tells the story. The kingdom of God can be found by accident and also by deliberate discipleship, striving for it and growing. It's funny because things happen in my life all the time, and I say, 
how amazing they are, God things, and I'm always so surprised. And then at the same time, I don't know why I'm always surprised. I spend my life immersed in the scriptures and the seeking and the learning, and yet um, it does. I don't always receive it in the same way. The word field in Greek is akros, and it's either just a detail of the story or we are invited to ask, could it be um, used, the word field, the same way it is in the parable of the weeds, where Jesus says that the field or the agros is the world, which means the implication for this parable is that the hidden treasures in our lives, where we find the kingdom of God, is out there in the world, in the midst of everyday life. If only we are fortunate enough to pay attention, to find and enjoy those unexpected surprises where the kingdom of God is revealed to us, or to do things deliberately to open ourselves, like being a Christ-centered servant. This brings us back to Alexander Hamilton. Here was a boy who was denied formal education because his parents were not married. Nobody was looking for this kid to do great things. His dad had abandoned him, his mother had died, his cousin had ended his own life. Nobody chose him, believed in him, encouraged him. No one saw the potential in Alexander Hamilton except for Alexander Hamilton. I love that pose at the end of the thing where he's like, number one, baby, right? He believes that he can make himself anew. He believes that the things and the experiences he's been through do not define him as a person. When he left everything behind, he did it because he knew there was potential in some place else. And he found what he needed by risking everything. And so he sold what he had and started fresh, even though he could not see what was next. I love this quote by author and theologian Nancy Hastings. Sehested, I think that's how you say her last name. But what she wrote about this is, what is the treasure that the church could sell all in joy to possess? What is the treasure that the church believes in so much that we would sell everything we have, the buildings, everything. What is it? She says, it's not doctrines, not creeds, not choirs, not preachers, not buildings. The pearl of great price shimmers through Jesus in his redemptive story. Jesus, who was born on the outside to outsiders. Jesus, who lived by grace for all of those who were left behind from love's embrace. Jesus, who challenged the powers in place and placed himself among the powerless. Jesus, who chose to live by the spirit that was with him, a holy presence that would not forsake him. Jesus, who was killed by the powers of this world and resurrected by the power of all the world. It is this Jesus who joyfully invites us to give our all to discover the treasures awaiting us in the God movement. Isn't that beautiful? The pearl of great value is the redemptive story in Jesus. 
When the pandemic shut everything down, we were forced to give up the patterns that had dominated our lives. Our calendars were suddenly empty and we couldn't even plan what was next because we had no idea what that would be. We glimpsed a life that we never considered living. Some people lost jobs only to deepen their relationships with their families. Some people took the patch of earth they had ignored on their, around their house and turned it into beautiful gardens, growing food that they could actually eat. Some people said, I didn't realize how much I hated my life. And they started over wanting something different. And the church, the church had to figure out how do we do church when nobody is coming to our buildings? And so when we looked at the scriptures, we considered the Hebrew people when the temple was destroyed. Their faith did not end, but it moved into the household and the families became the center of the place where you grew in your faith. We all had to deepen our own discipline to maintain our faith out there in the world, in our homes. I found my church hiking and being surrounded by creation, that felt holy to me. Some of you took up family devotions uh, before or after dinner or once a week, and you did that to, to grow in your faith. I know many of you sent us pictures of the altars that you built in your home when we asked you to at Easter. And I don't know about you, mine was up so long, my husband said, are you ever going to take that down? I was like, I don't know. It's kind of cool that the center of my faith is now in my living room and not somewhere else. Many of you did that, and you did other things that I don't know about. And to be honest with you, there were some of us who never found our way. We never developed a new habit or a new pattern, a way to be disciplined in our faithfulness and get our spiritual nourishment. In the opening chorus of the musical, the first song is called Alexander Hamilton. It says, Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton, and there's a million things I haven't done. But just you wait. Just you wait. I ask you, what are you waiting for before you decide to say yes to living a life with Jesus? What are you willing to risk to be part of that? When will you allow this redemptive story, this pearl of great wisdom and value of Jesus Christ to change your direction and lead you in a way that is possible? I was telling Sharla that as I was painting, monotonous painting for hours yesterday, I thought one of the best examples of this change in your life was the call into the ministry. And I know you're not all going to be called into being pulpit pastors like we are. But that was a call that we didn't feel ready for. We didn't feel equip, equipped for. And uh, Pastor Sharla is the better behaved of us, and she said yes. <laughs> and so she started in her 20s, and it, I fought it and went the other way and came up with a whole list of ways why God should leave me alone. And that never works out, by the way. God keeps knocking on that door 
and saying, I need you. I have a place for you to serve. And I may not have had a life like Alexander Hamilton did, but I still felt ill-equipped. He believed in himself when nobody else did. He said, there's more for me and I can do it. And I know that this year has been incredibly hard and we have had to place our hope in things we cannot see. But can you imagine how the kingdom of God could be revealed in Tulsa, Oklahoma if we all said yes to what we cannot see? What is possible if we are truly Jesus followers? This is the good news for us today. Whether we are looking for it or not, God is working in the messy, risky world and calling us the unworthy who have hidden potential to follow and believe in something that we haven't even considered. Are you willing to say yes to the joy that is possible?